you know, having just said that Iron Man gives you the belief you can do anything, you still have to harness that every day. You still, it doesn't, it's not a magic bullet that gets rid of every limiting belief you've ever yeah. had. But I think what it is, is like a book on the shelf that you can pull down when your motivation is waning or when times are tough and go, remember that? Remember you did that? You can still do that. You are still that person. That's Laura Hillier. And you're listening to Age Group Stories brought to you by the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. You don't, you can't say, we can't start the new podcast with you telling people I'm going bald, Laura. That's outrageous. But you have got a very lovely cap on. Thank you very much. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, there, there's a nice easy way to ease into this new new format of podcast, isn't it, Laura? So what we're doing, everybody, this, as you'll have seen, if you're listening, is it's like an extra bonus edition of our podcast where we're talking to team members who've got real world stories who I think you're going to find interesting. So I'm going to introduce Laura Hillier. Hi, Laura. How are you? today hello i'm very good people will have heard your name a couple of times over the past couple of weeks because you've been smashing it and doing great performances but that's not the reason that we've got you on to have a chat really um so first up the the backstory to you coming on here is very interesting to people because you had a bit of a hard time with the old coronavirus recently didn't you to say the least yeah absolutely i did um i saw the inside of a hospital twice i think the slightly flippant view is I took six weeks off training, but I think that hides a much uh, larger story of health and well-being, um, which yeah. I'm more than to share. Well, let's go back a bit then. How how did you end up in triathlon in the first place? And tell us a bit about your background and your life and all that kind of business. Uh, so the quick lift speech is I'm 44 years old. I'm a single mum of one eight-year-old, and I've been doing triathlon now for about 10 years. I think the first eight years of my triathlon career could best be described as on and off. <laughs> I would do that that typical kind of age grouper thing of going, oh, I'm putting on a bit of weight. I need to get a race in. I'd train for eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever. Um, I'd hit the race. I would probably do okay. Um, and I you know, just did it for the for the love of it and to keep the weight down. And then about 18 months ago, I decided to go long. I have no idea why. I have no idea why that madness set in. <laughs> but I decided that I'd really set my sights on Ironman Copenhagen and Mallorca 70.3 on the way. And I came into the market for a coach. And that's how we met. Um, so I started my oxygen addict journey, I think September, I was trying to work this out, September, yeah. October, uh, the year before last. That's right. So what we know, we're now 20, I've lost track of what year it is, let alone what day it is. It's 2020 now, isn't it? So it must have been late 18, mustn't it? Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say what, um, think back a bit, you, you alluded to it there, but what was it that made you go, I'm going to do an Ironman? I think every year I'd set myself a challenge that seemed really hard at the start of the year, but I knew that with the right focus, I could get there. It wasn't always a physical challenge, I have to say. Um, sometimes it was doing a marathon. Sometimes it was you know, going faster in a certain triathlon distance. Um, sometimes it was doing my master's degree. It, it was just always that desire to push myself further than I thought I was capable of. Okay. It's like getting and yourself outside the comfort zone kind of idea. Exactly. And then obviously Ironman for me was the ultimate expression of that because 
if we look way back in my history, I was the kid that was picked last at PE. Um, I was definitely the child least likely to end up doing anything athletic. Um, so maybe somewhere in the subconscious, there was a desire to, to lose that stereotypical view of myself. But I, I certainly thought, okay, wow, this is, this is a big one. I had also seen two or three members of my local club do Ironman and be really successful at it. And there was, I think, a little bit of, oh, man, they can do it. And if they can do it, maybe I can too. Well, that's that's one of the greatest things about Ironman, I think, isn't it? It's the, it's the person who comes before you on the journey that makes you go, well, do you know what? I don't think I could do that. But if they can do that, then I can do that. And it, it, there is something massive about biting off a chunk of Ironman where you go that is such a big thing I can't even contemplate how you could go about running a marathon after riding your bike for 112 miles so I love these kind of uh, superhero genesis stories <laughs> yeah I mean I think if anybody said to you at the start of you know start of the journey you you will you will do this you, you don't really believe them you don't totally. really believe that your that your body's capable of, and and you you know well the conversations that we had over the almost a year that led up to that race. I don't think even on the start line, even though I was saying to myself, you, "You've got this, you can do it," I still think somewhere in you is going, "This is absolute madness." Um, but sure, it proved addictive madness, like it does, <laughs> for, like it does for us all. It's a, it's a real good lesson, I think, in living in the moment when you do an Ironman, because if anybody said to you, like, I'm running the London Marathon, you kind of go, respect, that's a massive event. I've seen it on the telly. You've got to do all this training and get ready for it. If somebody then said to you, I'm going to ride my bike to the start line from Birmingham, before you just think they were completely and utterly insane, wouldn't you? And that's that, that's that context for it. And I have to say, the insanity probably does have some kind of um, pre precursor in my world in that I did actually run London Marathon on only 12 weeks training after having a C-section with my daughter. So, you know, the let's set yourself a really ridiculous goal and try and achieve it and overcome every physical challenge on the way. Nice. Seems to be a bit of a repeated pattern for me. Well, tell us a bit more about Copenhagen. Tell us how the race went, because I think I think the first Ironman story is is I never get tired of hearing them. <laughs> So funnily enough, there's echoes of the other story that I, I came to tell you. But um, my training went really well. So from the September, I started with the Oxygen Addict plan. I have to say it's an utterly genius plan. It's um, very pragmatic. It fits with your life really well. And training went really well. I mean, I think fundamentally I did what I was told. I was consistent. Um and I got to Mallorca and had a stormer of a race. Mallorca was about eight weeks, eight weeks or so before. So that's Mallorca 70.3. 70.3. Yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely overachieved, ran a PB half marathon off the bike nice. in first degree heat. You know, it was absolutely on the upward trajectory towards Copenhagen. Uh, and 10 days after Mallorca, the wheels fell off. Um, I have a, another chronic condition which causes me to have surgery on occasion um, and I was rushed into hospital with severe abdominal pains uh, and there I stayed for another 10 days on morphine until they decided what to do with me um, and I remember in my hospital bed there was another oxygen addict athlete 
um, who the team will be smiling at if I mentioned his name. Uh, and he had a, a similar, he had had a similar story and he was about four weeks behind me or ahead of me, whichever way you look at it in his journey. And I remember every single day, this person who I had never met, but who was equally as mad as me, sending me text messages, telling me that the race was still not beyond me. Um, and at this point, you know, eight or nine weeks out from your very first Ironman, you've just had major abdominal surgery. And frankly, you're as high as a kite. You really don't. <laughs> you, you, you think that goal is gone. You think that dream is dream is utterly gone. Um, but I, I did take just, you know, one day at a time, one day at a time. If I learned anything in the previous 10 months, that was that was how to to eat the elephant, bite it off in chunks. Yeah, yeah. And when I came back out of hospital, um, I know you and Andy, again, were superb in terms of tailoring my program and making sure I only did what I was physically capable of. And there was an absolute defining moment. I think it was about four and a half, five weeks after surgery. And I managed to do one of my long runs. And I live near Eaton Dorney and I ran out to the Olympic rings. And there is a photo of me in front of the Olympic rings at Eaton Dorney, which was an absolute defining moment. Not because that run was fast, it was frankly painful, but I stood in front of those Olympic rings and thought, I've got this, I'm going to do it, mm. I'm going to line up on the start line, and if I'm going to line up on the start line, I'm going to finish. Um, and so I did. And as as is to be expected with your first Ironman, the run was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. No one else I want to do one. Lie to them, Laura. Say it'll be easy. <laughs> the dark time came. I mean, I danced through the first 15K of the run. Yeah. Uh, the next 10K were the darkest place I've ever seen in my yeah, life. Yeah. I banned um, my lovely friend who'd come with me from taking any photos in that 10K. Um, but yeah, when I crossed that line, absolutely sobbing. I, it, For me, I hadn't just overcome the normal Ironman journey, the pain that we all go through. I hadn't, you know, hit all the training. That moment sat in the hospital bed thinking this dream is over. I'd overcome all of that. Yeah. I am um, and it was a real you can do anything. You can do anything. Look at what you've just achieved. Um and I think that's what Ironman gives you. It gives you that feeling that, you know, it doesn't matter what you turn your mind to. If you can prove your toughness like that, you are capable of anything. It's it's an interesting sort of, uh, I don't know what the phrase I'm looking for here is, but it is that sense that something that seems impossible, you've just done. So what else do you think is impossible that you could do? We, we have this even as kids i talk to my eight-year-old son and he, he kind of goes and says no i could never do that and you think what what is it within us as a species that makes us just assume we can't do something when there's all these examples of you know humans basically doing everything and anything why do we assume we can't do something and what other limiting thoughts have we put on ourselves that make us think we can or can't do that for whatever reason i think it's a really interesting um concept especially at the moment because uh, we can talk about my COVID story but having bounced back from COVID and seeing some of the results that I've seen I suddenly realized I had two other massive limiting beliefs specifically about triathlon the first of which was well I'll never wear a GB vest 
because I'm never fast enough. And the second of which, well, I'll never get to coma because I'm not fast enough. Yeah, you said that before we spoke today and I, I was like, oh, really? That's yeah. interesting. And I, I, there's been a couple of instances over the, the past two weeks hitting my first podium. You know, in 10 years in triathlon, I've never been on a podium. Um, and I suddenly thought, well, maybe I am capable. Maybe I am capable of more than I think I am. And I think, you know, having just said that Ironman gives you the belief you can do anything, you still have to harness that every day. You still, it doesn't, it's not a magic bullet that gets rid of every limiting belief you've ever yeah. had. But I think what it is, is like a book on the shelf that you can pull down when your motivation is waning or when times are tough and go, remember that? Remember you did that? You can still do that. You are still that person. I love that. That's exactly what it is. It's not like you do this impossible thing and then all of a sudden you remember every morning that you can do anything. It's like every now and again, you look at the picture on the wall and go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did that. So I can do this as well, probably. Who knows what else I can do? Yeah, exactly. I mean, whether you want to do whatever is that really impossible <laughs> is another matter. And I still think, you know, understanding your why is is another really, really important uh, part of, of well, long distance triathlon, but life success. You know, why are you doing something? Because you're only going to stick through the hard bits if you absolutely understand your why. And maybe maybe my, you know, my why for wearing a GB vest just isn't strong enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I mean triathlon has taught me so many life lessons. I I could talk for for days about it, but I think that yeah, learning that we are only limited by ourselves and that everything else can be overcome if you just set your mind to it. Um, oh, it's like talking to Anthony Robbins. <laughs> I, know, I wasn't expecting to be quite such a psychological uh, expert. Yeah, we've got we've got deep all of a sudden. Right, so you did you did um, Copenhagen ticks yep. that off. We've we've got on our little bookshelf a book that says, "Remember, Laura, you can do these things that seem impossible." Yeah. But before we go on, like let's circle back a little bit. So you really did complete your first Ironman after having spent. Like, firstly, major abdominal surgery, 10 days yeah. out of your skull on morphine. How yeah. long did you not exercise for between 70.3 Mallorca in May and Copenhagen in August? Yeah, the worst possible time. Six weeks, pretty much. Six uh, weeks completely off. Six weeks completely off and in that build phase. Yeah. So so I think in the end, I'm probably, it may, may not add up maths-wise, but I think in the end, I probably only had maybe seven or eight weeks build yeah. um, and having had my core cut through yeah, uh, and having been laid off. So, I mean, it, you know, a lot of that fitness that I had into Mallorca, I lost. Um, or maybe not. Think, yeah. Or, or maybe <laughs> not. You know, maybe my muscle memory was, was, was still there, but it was certainly the worst period of time, yeah. both psychologically and physically to have taken off, um, but that's why I think it's your brain that gets you around because any doctor I spoke to said you are absolutely insane. Um, and, and, and they're probably right with that. But if, <laughs> if, if sanity means that you don't get to do the cool thing and insanity means you do. And what we're doing here is we're, we're questioning, we're questioning the core beliefs of whether you can do something or not, then, then great. I'm all for that. And I really want to underline that because I think, just seeing one example of a person who's done something like this, specifically with an Ironman, you know, you've had six weeks off, eight weeks out from your A race, 
not doing it, not just not doing anything, but in hospital, sliced across the middle, out of your skull on morphine. Anybody listening can listen to that and go, well, surely I can come back from having a niggle in my foot or a pulled hamstring or, you know, people are capable of doing much, much more. And your body holds on to much, much more fitness than we give it credit for. And you realize people are always sort of saying, aren't they? Like, how long will it take to come back from this injury? How long will my fitness come back? And the reality is, I think for most people, about two weeks after you've come back to training, you kind of seem to, we're like dogs, aren't we? We live in the moment if we let ourselves. You're kind of like, oh, I've been exercising every day for two weeks. It's all good. And you forget that six, eight week period beforehand. Yeah, I think it's really easy, especially if you're a type A personality, like lots of triathletes are, to be very fixated on the thing that you can't do right now. Mm. And we're very good at moving on very quickly. Yeah. Uh, You know, I forgot really quickly how bad I was. And it's only the photographic evidence and the people who came to see me in hospital who reminded me of that fact, because we're all goal orientated. Right. So I was always looking to the next thing, looking to the next thing. Um, And it was only when I crossed the finish line that I looked back and thought, oh, man. Yeah, that was a really dark place that I pulled myself out of. Um, I mean, I think, you know, that's good for you. You forget the forget the dark places but sometimes you do just have to take a step and go hey look at that that was all right I did all all right so you had your black patch on the marathon 15k to 25k so you got yours 5k early from when most people (laughs) get theirs a lot of people get a pass to about 20k how did it feel after that though you see your 25k period onwards yeah, I think um, anybody who knows the Copenhagen course, it's four loops. And there was a little boy who was handing out the wristbands, you know, the um, the bands that you get to mark mark your loops. And it was actually when he gave me my fourth um, my fourth wristband and he handed it to me and I started to sob. <laughs> and two things went through my head. First of all, you haven't finished yet. Yeah. So don't break down yet. And secondly, he's a small child. He's probably nine. <laughs> He will not know how to deal with your emotions, Laura. So you needed to keep running. Um, And he kind of did give me me this look like, oh, there's a crazy lady in front of me. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, I think every step of that last, uh, it wasn't even the last loop, it's like half a loop. You knew that you were just one step closer to the end and one step closer to achieving what had been your dream for over over a year and really longer. and one step closer to achieving that thing that you just thought was impossible. Um, and I, I have to say that was probably the most enjoyable and painful running combined I've ever done. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that feeling is just euphoric as you as you get closer and closer. And again, at Copenhagen, the atmosphere is incredible. You can hear the announcers um, from from miles out. Uh, and I actually had to, I stopped just as I saw the finish line and I just stopped and I had to compose myself, um, partly because I'd been really warned about the photographs at the end and not sobbing your way through. <laughs> and partly because I just wanted to drink it in. I just wanted to drink in what I'd achieved and the atmosphere and the noise. Um, and it is a feeling like no other when you're called as an Ironman for the first time. I think anybody would say that, whatever your journey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that moment of just standing there 
uh, it's almost twilight. I was a filmic moment in your life. Yeah, awesome. Oh, it is a it is an amazing and very very difficult to put into words experience, isn't it? That you do kind of feel as though you're part of some kind of Hollywood Hollywood experience in some ways. I remember my first one. I was in Australia and it had gone dark by the time I finished, and I remember running down through the dark and thinking, "This is just." the most surreal or the spotlights and it used to finish in Australia on a, on like a seafront. So everyone would book out all the seafront apartments looking down. So it's like an amphitheater almost. Yeah. It's just amazing feeling as you run down out of the darkness and into the light. It's, it's just incredible. I mean, the support is incredible. I, I mean, Copenhagen, I can't recommend it enough for first timers. It's a beautiful course. I had an absolute flare of a bike but the support is just, just immense. Um, yeah, it was, uh, oh, and the food's great. Is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you do it for the food, but yeah. Um, is it, um, is it a saltwater swim? It is a saltwater swim. It's in a lagoon. Okay. Um, I actually weirdly didn't have a great swim. Um, swimming has always been my, my first discipline and I do not know what happened, but my sighting, um, went awry, shall we say? I was about right. to swear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It went awry and I had a couple of tussles with people. Um, so for me, I didn't have a great swim. And then I, uh, something else happened otherworldly. I got on the bike and had a flare of a bike. I was about an hour quicker than I expected to be. Excellent. We like it when that happens. Yeah, absolutely. It was all that OA training. <laughs> yeah. Keep, keep plugging that for me. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was the dream race for me, really. Yeah. I, you know, I, I couldn't have asked for anything more. Of course, there was a dark patch. There's always a dark patch for everyone. The key is not you know, kind of ignoring it, but just knowing it will come and managing your way through it. Um, yeah, and I got to the end and, and celebrated celebrated Julie by falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the plan then headed into 2020? After having done Copenhagen, what was the original plan before the world went upside down in March? Yeah, so the, the plan for the next kind of, it was a two-year plan, really. I have never really been a runner. There's another limiting belief for you. Um, and I really wanted to spend some time working on my running. So I put a spring marathon in, like a lot of us do. And then the plan for the rest of the year was to really do 70.3s and just keep myself ticking over until 2021, when I'm in for the epic Roth Um so I was looking at slow build for that. So at the moment, as we stand, my spring marathon is no more. Um, and actually, as the world turned, I wouldn't have been on that start line anyway. No. Um, but my 70.3s are still largely intact. At the moment, I've got three in for the rest of the year and two have just confirmed they're on. So fingers crossed, I might be one of the few whose might original be. plan isn't, isn't too... Uh, might get a little bit of end of season racing in hey yeah exactly exactly all right so i want to hear the all that i mean this sounds terrible doesn't it i want to hear the story of covid but you were you were one of the few people that i know in person who who got properly sick and was hospitalized and has made a you know a really successful comeback from it so what was your experience with that yeah so really really early on actually um i we were sent home from our office i think that was probably the third week in March mm. and I think at that point a lot of us were like oh well this is a bit of an overreaction but okay fine we're all working from home as we do 
and I was fine with that because I have a three-hour commute so <laughs> that, that was no no pains to me um within a week I started to feel really just not right uh, but I didn't have classic COVID symptoms so I didn't have a cough um, I just wasn't right um mm. but I did have sore chest I had a variety of symptoms anyway I'm obviously that type A person who keeps pushing through. Um, and then within about a week, I was realizing I just needed to stop. I just needed to, to stop training. And after that, there was a bit of a merry dance for a few weeks where I just wasn't right, but I wasn't really ill. Um, and so, for, so I would start training for a couple of days and then be like no my hrv's down again need to stop there's just just something not right anyway mm. i had about three or four weeks of that and then it got really bad um and the the kind of low point of the story was being found in my garden where i'd pretty much collapsed um I then discovered my oxygen saturation had dropped to about 75%, which if anyone with wow. yeah. is, is really dangerous. Um, the paramedic who came to the house said that I needed to be in hospital in single digit minutes. Um, and it was a really not, not a great place. Now that has happened. I can't even say overnight. It was within hours. Um, and just, you know, a couple of weeks before I was training for Manchester marathon, I was peak fitness so from the high to the low were very, very, very quick. Um, and when I went into hospital, I think I was a bit of an anomaly. So, you know, you've got you've got doctors taking your history and, and you're saying, well, yeah, I'm a, you know, I'm an Ironman athlete. I'm, I'm really fit. And yet you're presenting with 75 percent oxygen saturation. And they had this really long debate over what to do with me because they didn't it didn't really want to admit me because at that point stats on actually leaving hospital yeah not good yeah um but it was obviously I was struggling so I was kept in for assessment for a fairly lengthy period and then they decided that because I was so fit and for a couple of other reasons I could come home but it was with very very strict instructions that if I got like that again I was to go straight back and sure enough three days later that's exactly what happened again um now this is a very personal experience for me. I do get viral induced asthma and it seems that the, the episodes I was having were the virus um, causing massive asthma attacks. And so once we'd kind of figured that out, then, then we could come up with a treatment plan that, that was more effective. Um, and so again, second time into hospital, long-term assessment, where the medic spent as much time debating my Ironman tattoo as he did my medical history. Um, <laughs> And then, um, and then, and then back out again. But I was told the second time that really it was only because I was so fit that I had survived what I survived, wow. and that was a that was a really sobering, sobering moment. Um, but came out, and then again, much like the previous story, it was a day by day. Just take it day by day. Focus on what you can do, not what you can't. Um, I remember distinctly a conversation with you where I told you that I wasn't capable of running a bath yeah um, and in very northern way you gave me some very strict advice <laughs> which was we love you but go away until you until you can do more than running a bath 
um yeah just one foot in front of the other one day at a time and from from the second hospital admission if you like it wasn't really an admission because I never went on a ward but um it was six weeks until I felt ready to even contemplate training again and it's it's an interesting challenge that isn't it that even though you've been so sick and even though you've been you know on oxygen and admitted to hospital our brain sometimes still says to us what's next when do I get back to normality when can I train and it's it's like a pretty hard thing to say to a highly motivated person well you don't get to train right now I'm afraid because until you're healthy you don't get to try and get fit but I think you've we've got to give you credit for the fact that you actually I don't want to say did as you were told, but like listening to advice when someone's saying no to you is much harder than listening to advice when someone's saying train at 85% of FTP for however many minutes, because it goes against what you want to do. But because you did that, I think that's why you've had such a, you know, it it was a, a protracted period of recovery, but because you fully recovered before you started training again, we've seen you, you know, your fitness levels have come, come straight back, haven't they pretty much again, which is another really great lesson. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the journey is never linear, right? The journey is never straight uphill. And if I learned anything from the first illness ex, um, episode, it, it's a lesson that is repeatedly played in my head, which is your advice that you cannot get fit and healthy at the same time. And I hear that a lot. And even if I've only got a cold, it, that that will keep me away from training until until I'm fully ready. You, you just can't. I mean, it is common sense, but sometimes we need the common sense bashed into us. Um, and yeah, since that since that point, so the six weeks took us to I think ten weeks ago, and I have bounced back in a way that I never ever imagined. Um, as ever, consistency is king, and what lockdown has enabled me to do is is to focus on training it's a it's become a real positive structure in my life now now we're at home um but yeah in the last two weeks I have podiumed for the first time in my triathlon career so awesome I've run a 10k lifetime pb amazing I've run a a 5k lifetime pb and I increased my ftp twice by accident (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, have definitely hit a purple patch. Um, so COVID whilst tough again, you know, 10 weeks, 12 weeks after this hard time, the results have come. And now I'm, now I am staring at things that I never, ever thought I would be considering. Like, do I consider GB qualification next year? Am I faster than I thought I am? Well, you clearly are. And that that may or may not happen, but I remember when I when I finished the um, I, I finished the uh, cycle of the virtual race that I entered, which was one of the Castle Series races, if you're familiar with those. And I put a note in the Oxygenatic Facebook group that said, "I don't care where I come in this race because because um, I I just did a PB, I'm done, I'm happy," and I think that ability to celebrate all of the all of the small wins is maybe what I've learned over the last few weeks it's just you know every day there will be a small win yeah it doesn't have to be a podium it doesn't have to be a 10k lifetime pb I mean those are amazing and wonderful but just something every day that makes you go yeah 
that was worthwhile. It sounds like you, you've got a real sort of um, practical grasp of gratitude. That's like gratitude in action every day, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's funny enough, I do that. I practice gratitude every day with my eight-year-old. It's the last thing we do before we go to sleep is, is say to each other one thing that we're grateful for that day. Um, and you know, small children often teach us lessons that we've forgotten. I think it is really important. It, it doesn't have to be the big stuff. It's, yeah. it's never about money or... Um, it's always that I got to spend time with or I achieve something that I didn't think I could. So yeah, yeah, I do. I do like to do that every day. Love it. Well, listen, I know you talked a little bit earlier on about, um, sharing a bit more of your story over Instagram and stuff. So just before we wrap this up, let us know where, where people can go to follow your story, I guess, because I think that'd be interesting for them. Yeah, absolutely. As I, as I look to the next, the next chapter in the story, which is the road to Roth next year, and hopefully smashing through that Copenhagen time all being well, although I do have a secondary objective to stay out of hospital for a whole year. <laughs> um, if anyone wants to follow me, I'm at Laura does try TRI on Instagram and I'd love to, to see more people there. And thanks to everybody who's been on there for the journey so far. I have an incredible supportive community behind me. Love it. That's brilliant. All right. Well, listen, I think we'll wrap it up there. That seems like a really good place to finish it. So thanks very much for coming on and, and telling us your story. I'm really glad that you're back to to full health, but also back to great fitness as well. And uh, you've done the hard work and you really deserve it. No worries. And, and yeah, thanks to everybody on Team Oxygen Addict. This is my plug, but the team is an incredible place. Everybody is incredibly supportive and it doesn't matter if you are at the top of your game or just thinking that you might want to get there. Um, do reach out to Rob because there's no better place to be. Oh, you've done the you've done the pitch for me and everything. That's <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the checks in the post. All right. Well, listen, that's a really great place to wrap it up. Thanks very much for your time, Laura. And hopefully, people can come visit you at, at Laura Does Try on Instagram. Thank you. <laughs> okay, everybody. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Something a little bit different. I'm not sure how often we're going to do these uh, age group stories editions. It's going to be as and when, when something pops up in my Facebook group where I think the athlete's got an interesting story, I'm going to invite them on and have a chat. So I'm interested to hear what you think about it. You can contact us on Twitter at OHRIPodcast or we're on Instagram as well, Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast and Facebook. We're all over the place on there. You'll be able to find us by searching for it. But yeah, I'd love to know what you what you think about hearing age group of stories as compared to our usual sort of top end pro stories. Um yeah, and that's a pretty good place to wrap it up, really. I think if you're uh, inspired by what you've heard with Laura and you want to find out about a bit more about coaching and you think you might benefit from it, there's a link in the show notes you can click that'll let you book uh, book a chat with me and we can work out how best we can help you out. Otherwise, thanks very much for listening. I hope you have an awesome weekend of training. We'll be back with another pro interview in a couple of days' time and our usual edition. So, uh, yeah, watch this space. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Coach Rob Wilby, and you've been listening to Age Group Stories, brought to you by the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. Mm-hmm.